The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For my second segment, I'll be talking with Zaragoza Guerra, former admission officer at MIT and Caltech. He also hails from Texas, so he's quite knowledgeable about their system of higher education. He and I will be taking a deep dive into the Texas public universities together. We all know about UT Austin, but what about the others? There's a lot of good schools in Texas. And for my third and last segment, I'll be talking to Cindy Quinn, who's a college finance consultant here at College Coach and a former senior financial aid officer at Hesser College. Uh, she and I will be discussing available education tax breaks. Uh, but for my first segment, parents, do you have a senior at home who has received multiple admissions to colleges and now doesn't know what to do, doesn't know exactly where he or she wants to go? That kind of embarrassment of riches, well, again, it's a lot of good stuff can actually be paralyzing. I've uh, I've seen students get pretty stressed out in that situation. So my colleague, Karen, my colleague Karen Spencer and I will be discussing how to help your child make that final decision of which college to attend. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, absolutely. So what what do you think? I mean, I don't know if you've ever witnessed students in those situations, but I, I once had a student who was... Uh, he was looking at architecture, and he'd been admitted to USC and Cornell, and he really liked USC for the location and kind of the vibe of the school, but, you know, Cornell's architecture program was undeniably strong, and he stressed himself out so much that he actually was, like, getting ill. I mean, physically, right. he was having physical symptoms of stress because even though me, his parents, we were all like, look, they're both great schools. Go with your gut. It's really okay. Um, you know, you're not making a mistake here. They're both good places. You know, he just couldn't. It was really, really hard for him to pull the trigger. So just kind of curious what your experience is with that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think people are like, you know, I think back in September when you tell this to a senior who's waiting to hear back and is stressed about something else, they're like, oh, yeah, tough call. That must be really rough. But, you know, when you're there, it can be. Um, it, it's hard when you've got a lot of good choices. And, you know, people always say, that, well, that's a good problem to have. And that's true, but it's still a problem, right? It's still, it's still a challenge for a lot of students. And I have absolutely um, seen students do this where they really, I mean, literally, I had a parent, I think it was this, or uh, I want to say this two years ago, calling me on April 30th because, you know, deposits are due on May 1st for just about every college in America, like at 8 p.m., like, I don't know what to do. 
And I was like, um, you got like four hours to decide. <laughs> we didn't put right. Um, so, you know, I think, yeah, so I have absolutely seen it. Um, you know, I think to, you know, part of this, you know, my, my first person piece of wisdom for like this is always, you know, say like, there's not just one school for a student, right? You could be happy at a lot of places. I said that to everybody, you know, I went to Valparaiso University in Indiana. I loved, loved, loved my four years there, but could I have loved, loved, loved my four years at my, you know, a, a different school? I, I'm pretty positive I could have, you know, I mean, hindsight allows me to say that, but, you know, I think the first thing to tell a student like that is there's really no one place for you. I don't think there's only one person you could marry. I don't think there's only one, you know, acceptable place to go to college that's going to make you happy. You know, life is full of choices and, and you're, you know, this is one of the first times of many you're going to have to choose between some good options. Um, and so I, I think it, it can be a really good uh, teachable moment, like much of this process is. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, my big thing is if you know you're struggling, don't wait until that last minute and think it's going to magically come to you. Maybe, I mean, maybe it will, but in general, my recommendation is to kind of then try to be systematic and form some preferences that way. Again, all the way, keep all the while keeping in, in mind what you and I both said, you know, in, you know, there are multiple colleges you can be happy at. Like it's, you're not going to make a mistake. That's what I always repeat to students. You can't make a mistake here because it's two good choices. So it's just kind of identifying a slight preference essentially. So, so what do you, I mean, one of the things that I recommend to students is that maybe they go back and, you know, maybe they did an organized kind of pro con list and, and like a list of what their priorities were and what they were looking for in a college the first time around. But then, you know, I always recommend that students revisit their priorities because I find that often they've actually changed over the process, you know, over the sort of year or so that they've really been looking at colleges. So, you know, do you recommend something similar or what kinds of things do you expect recommend that they look at again? I agree. I think it is um, redoing your priority, you know, reevaluating those, right? You might have really wanted to be close to home because your boyfriend was still going to be in high school or his boyfriend was going to whatever, and you may have since dumped said boyfriend or maybe boyfriend dumped you. (laughs) Maybe boyfriend's not the picture anymore or... Maybe you thought you wanted to major in engineering and, you know, senior level physics made you realize you did not want to major in engineering anymore. And so that, you know, that driver isn't there or, you know, absolutely, you know, all those things, you know, any one of those factors that you might have been, you thought was a driver or even a strong preference, you might realize is not really as big of a driver anymore. So I absolutely um, think that reestablishing, being very clear about what your priorities are and, and owning and accepting the fact that they may be different. And I think sometimes I think that's what students have a hard time with. Like, I thought I was supposed to want this, whatever this is. And to have to admit that this has changed is sometimes hard for students, but to really take an honest look at what, what really is going to make you happy and is going to be important in the next four years may not be what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a student who over and over again wanted big schools, big schools, big schools, but his parents talked him into visiting Lehigh and applying, and he he applied grudgingly. He got in, and then he was like, wait, I actually do want small colleges. You know, that's, I mean, yeah. Lehigh's more medium-sized, but compared to the, you know, enormous state schools, which all his other choices were state schools, so him, it was hard for him to admit that his priorities had changed, but that really then helped him make that final decision. Yeah, and I think that's 
That's the key thing. And I think that leads into, you know, my biggest piece of advice for every student I always say is, you know, in general, most of the students that I've worked with that are debating between, um, you know, are having a hard time, it's usually between two schools, maybe three. It's not usually between 10, right? They're, they've narrowed it down to two or three. Um, and I do think it's really important that they go to visit, kind of to your point about visiting Lehigh, all of a sudden he was like, oh, huh. Like, this is not what I thought this was going to be like. I do think, especially if you've never visited the college before, by all means, please go visit it. But even if you've already visited both, the, you know, the two schools you're debating between, and if you can, which is not always the case with people, you know, in your case of USC and Cornell, those are an opposite, you know, literally opposite <laughs> of the United States, um, and if you can't do it, you can't do it. But if you can, you know, I would love to see you revisit a college, um, the colleges that you're considering. Because, again, I've always said, I said this many times, I will say it till I'm dead, that a college looks different to you when you're in, right? A lot of things look one way when they're a hypothetical, right? When this is a legitimate reality for you where you could be spending the next four years of your life, this school all of a sudden may take on a different hue than it did before, good or bad or, or neutral, Um but I also say it's really, you know, if you can go to one of those accepted student days, and almost every college in America has these, there's usually a few, you know, in the spring, um, to go to them. And, you know, what they really do at those accepted student days is kind of bring out all the bells and whistles and a lot of uh, access to things that perhaps you were not given access to on your basic run-of-the-mill tour that you took, you know, maybe your junior year. So um, they may have the heads of all of the departments, you know, out at a lunch, you know, for example. So you can go talk to, you know, the fashion design school or the engineering program or the, um, you know, bio program or whatever it is, if that's something that's important to you. You may be able to take a tour of the dorm um, or a dorm or multiple dorms, which are often not shown on college tours to get a sense for where you would actually sleep and live. Um, So I do think a second look for various reasons. I will say, actually, anecdotally, I would say 90, 90, 95% of the time, a second look at most colleges has done it for most of my students and helping make their decision if they were really undecided. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I recommend, you know, talk to as many different students as you can, because you might, I mean, I talked to one student who the college she ended up going to the first student she talked to, she didn't like him. And she thought, why am I here? You know, and then every other, like the more she talked to students, the more she liked him. And she ended up picking that particular college um, you know, she ended up figuring out it was the right place for her, you know, and she, she wandered into the library and talked to students there. I mean, you know, not, not to mention talking to her hosts, of course, which I think spending the night is a great idea because you will see students in a, about as relaxed a setting as you're going to see them in. So, yeah, I, yeah, um, I think an overnight visit, if they offer it, and not every college does, those really big ones often don't, although maybe they do. I shouldn't make that assumption. But, um, you know, Georgetown, where I worked, did. Franklin and Marshall did. Um, and, again, nobody there's, there's trying to sell you anything, right? You're going to see what a dorm looks like at, you know, 7 p.m. on Wednesday night and what are people doing and what's kind of the culture and what's the vibe and, you know, all of those kind of touchy-feely things that are really, though, important to your happiness at a college for the next four years, right? Because that's, that's your home and you want to know if that culture and that vibe and all those touchy-feely things are things that you like. It is kind of, you know, meshes with who you are and what you wanted of your experience. So an overnight visit is also something, um, like you said, that I strongly, strongly suggest if it's offered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I just want to highlight again the touchy-feely vibe, because that's the part that is often missed the first time around. You know, students are so yeah. focusing on how beautiful the campus is, and is it a good measure? So this is your chance to remember these are the people you're going to be spending kind of 100% of your time with, 
over the next four years. So that touchy-feely becomes very important. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think when we were talking about this early, you also mentioned, of course, finances come into the room. I mean, we're not, you and I are not finance um, consultants, but we've still all had to have those conversations with families about, can they afford it? I mean, I've talked to parents who, you know, they let their kid apply every place, but then it turns out they can't afford it, but they haven't, they never talked to the student about finances before. You have to do it eventually, and this is kind of the last possible date to do it in, but you know, do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, if you haven't had that discussion with your, you know, your students, you know, do it now. So those of you who are listening who have a senior and you haven't discussed it, do it now. For those of you who have a freshman, do it now. <laughs> that is the theme here. Do it now. Whatever it is, do it. Um, because, it, like you said, it will come up eventually. And I think, you know, that can be sometimes the hard decision for a student. They maybe decide in between maybe the school that was their dream school but that is going to cost them $50,000 out of pocket or their parents or both, as the, you know, as the case may be, or the school that they still like and is giving them, you know, $25,000 a year or just cost $25,000 a year less. And, you know, there is, um, you know, there's a cost there. And, you know, you've got to decide if you're going to be the one taking out the loan, um, how long is it going to take you to pay back that loan, right? I think students, 18-year-olds, and listen, there's 25-year-olds in this category, but 18-year-old and under really have very poor sense of money or expenditures or anything, you know, like that. And so, you know, they'll say, you know, I know they think this. They'll say, okay, well, if I'm going to have $40,000 in student debt, but I'm going to go and get a job as a nurse that starts at 80, well, yeah, I'll be able to pay that back in a few years, like two years, right? I'll just, you know, <laughs> forget about rent and things like taxes and car insurance. Like, that's not how their brain works, especially because we haven't done a really good job teaching them that. And they don't really get that that 40000 you know, you know, debt could take you, you know, 30 years to pay off. Um, and so walking through what that means, um, you know, my sister is a good example. She got um, very valedictorian out of 900 kids, National Merit Commended Scholar, really bright, you know, student. She got a full ride to Augustana College in Illinois and got zero money from St. Olaf. And, you know, while St. Olaf is a little bit more selective, it's not drastically more selective. And, you know, my father said to her, if I don't have to pay for your undergrad, I will pay for your graduate school. And that was enough to do it for her. She was like, and done. Mm -hmm. In fact, she was going to end up wanting to go to graduate school. She did. He paid for it. Um, And so she got, you know, an undergrad and a master's degree for free. Um, Otherwise, you know, she would have had, you know, debt and what have you. You And that was the right decision for her. That may not be the right decision for everybody. I'm not saying that because something's going to cost you money um, or give you debt, it's necessarily a bad thing. My father, the banker, would have always said, you know, a mortgage and educational debt is really the only kind of good debt you should ever carry. Uh, that said, forty thousand dollars is forty thousand dollars, and if you don't have to carry it, you know, that's that's something to consider. Um, and so, I think that's a conversation you absolutely want to have as well. Is you know, what's the opportunity cost here, and and what's the actual physical cost? Right. Yeah. I. Um, I mean, I. I use myself as an example because I could have gone to. I actually could have gone to a state school for no loans, um, but I chose to go to private college to read college. But. 
But my loans were pretty low. I mean, I was super lucky and Reed had very good financial aid packages. Um, still has strong ones, but was really good back then. So I basically borrowed a little more than 10000 I think 11000 So it was sort of like the equivalent of what it meant to my lifestyle was that I was going to be driving a used car for a long time. So for me, that doesn't matter. Like I don't I don't mind having to drive a used car because I have to make, you know, a, a you know, a hundred or so dollars in payments. However, if someone had said to me, you're going to be paying off so much money that you're going to have to move back in with your parents, that's where I would have said, okay, no, <laughs> like that's probably not <laughs> worth it. And I remember recently and talking to- your mother is a- thankful for that, Sally, let me tell <laughs> you. <no. laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember talking to this father whose son was just really focused on going to college in Boston. He wanted to live in Boston. He wanted to go to college in Boston. And I said, well, remind him that if he pays too much, he's going to end up moving back in with you. Whereas if he goes to a cheaper college, he can move to Boston after he graduates and not be crazy in debt. So, right, um, right. all right. Well, we have run out of time. So, Karen, thank you so much. Uh, I really you, appreciate Sally. your time here. On. Okay, absolutely. Uh, so we're now going to be taking a short break, and then my colleague Zarago Segura and I will be discussing the Texas public universities. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone. Zaragoza Gara and I will now be discussing Texas public universities. Welcome, Zaragoza. Thank you, Sally. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for coming on. So, listen, when, when people think of Texas, I think really everybody thinks of, you know, University of Texas at Austin, UT Austin. But there's a lot more colleges. So, um, you know, I, I want to be able to get to those. But let's go ahead and start with, with Austin. Um, you know, what does it take to get in there? What's the vibe of the campus? You know, just kind of give us the lowdown. Sure. I'd say in terms of public universities in Texas, it's you know, definitely the flagship. And this is going to be one of the most uh, difficult public schools within the state of Texas uh, to get into. And, you know, it's got quite a number of applicants. It's a very large school, about 40,000 undergrads. Um, And what's unique about it in terms of the admissions process, or what's unique for a few Texas schools, including the University of Texas, is that the state grants automatic admission to students based upon their class rank. So for the University of Texas, if you are going to a public high school in Texas, you're a Texas resident, and your school happens to place you within the top 7% of your class, you're going to be an automatic admit for the university at Texas. It doesn't mean that if you're not in the top 7% that you won't get in. It just means that for those who are you got an automatic entry. It doesn't necessarily guarantee your major. So the engineering department still has to admit you for engineering, but you can be comfortable knowing that you're going to go to the University of Texas no matter what, and you can pick your major once you get there. Um, but, you know, in terms of the, the overall major and admitting by school, they're going to do that using a holistic process. Okay, and I think that's really important because I think, you know, there are students who they really want to be engineers. And so if UT Austin doesn't admit them for engineering, they might actually be better off going to a less elective school where they're guaranteed access to that major. Exactly. So let's say you really wanted business or you really wanted engineering. You got into UT Texas, but you're not necessarily going to be able to pursue your major. Uh, you might have to perhaps go elsewhere if that's exactly uh, more important to you than, than the school itself. And I will say that, you know, even if you're not in the top 7%, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get into the University of Texas. I think it just means that you're going to be an automatic admit Were you in the top 7%. The university does reserve some spots for students who aren't in the top 7%, and they base their admissions decisions on a holistic process. So they're going to be reading your essays. They're going to be doing all of that kind of stuff that any other university would be doing to fill those extra slots that they've got. So don't despair if you're not in the top 7%. There's still a shot at UT Austin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you should still, especially I think, I mean, I, you know, what I think I've seen is students who've gone to very rigorous high schools. And so, you know, maybe there's a lot of competition. So they're in the top 25%, but they've still got, you know, a ton of APs. They've got great grades. They've got great activities. Those students should absolutely go for it, I think. Most definitely. You know, if you're taking those tough classes and because you're taking those tough classes, you might not necessarily be ranked in the top 7%, or your high school is pretty competitive, as I said, don't despair. There's still going to be a shot for you, uh, perhaps, mm-hmm. uh, at the school. And it's a great school. You know, you, you know we asked about you know, what's like there socially, and there's a, a lot of reasons why a lot of students do aspire <laughs> to go to UT. Uh, it's in a fun town, Austin, which is a young, young city. 
and uh, there's just so much to do there. I mean, it's a, it's very much an urban campus. You know, lots of things that students love about the the, the city and the school itself. You know, the, the shops that they can head to on the drag. Um, there are a lot of outdoor activities that the city affords uh, its students. So you're probably going to see a lot of very outdoorsy, active students uh, heading to UT. Um, it's going to attract some traditional students, you know, those who like Greek life, and it's going to attract those students who aren't oriented to, to Greek life. It really is quite a diverse campus. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so they're, they're, it's going to attract quite a number of students from, from throughout the state, I would mm-hmm. say. So there's probably really no typical student other than the fact that everybody there was probably a pretty good student in high school. Other than that, you've probably got all different types of kids. You have all different types of kids. You know, I don't say there's, I wouldn't say there's one common denominator except, hey, these students probably have a, a passion for what they want to study, and uh, they come from all different walks of life. You know, the, the motto of Austin is keep Austin weird, and uh, I'd say a lot of UT students, uh, when they see someone who might be weird, just think, hey, that's Austin, that's where we're at, <laughs> no big deal. Right. <laughs> All right. And so um, another school, or the next school is kind of, uh, let's say socially is going to be academically very good school as well. Socially quite different from Austin, I think. And that's Texas A&M University at College Station. Very different, Sally. So right there. And there is quite a rivalry between UT and A&M. And I think... uh, you know, that rivalry divides families in Texas. <laughs> um, if you're an uh, A&M family, you're an Aggie, and your son or daughter decides to go to UT, you'll probably be disowned. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, they are very different. You know, A&M is, uh, you know, like UT, a very large school. It's probably bigger than UT. It's, I, I think it's around 70, uh, I'm sorry, 50,000 students. And uh, it's, you know, has a lot of options. They also admit by rank, but uh, unlike the University of Texas, they admit the top 10% rather than, let's say, the top 7%. Um, and I'd say, you know, A&M is known uh, for its culture, for its mystique, you know, everyone, its school spirit, everyone gathering around, you know, football games, and there's this whole ethos uh, around the core cadets there. Um, it's probably going to be perhaps a little bit more religious, I would say, than, let's say, a UT, which might feel a little bit more secular. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to be religious to go to UT. You're going to see people from all walks of life there. But you're probably going to encounter what some people on the East Coast might consider to be your stereotypical Texan. So you're probably going to encounter more people in cowboy hats and boots <laughs> and, um, <laughs> than you would at perhaps a UT, I would say. Okay. So UT, yeah, I mean, Austin, um, a lot of people sort of describe it like a a little bit of a bubble inside Texas. I think they exaggerate that to a certain degree because I think Houston and Dallas have liberal elements too. But um, but yeah, Austin is sort of the more liberal bubble. And then Texas A&M is more, yeah, classic Texas, the way a lot of people think of Texas probably, right? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit more conservative. I would say this you might perhaps be a little bit more surprised with the diversity there as well. You know, Texas, you know, even though it might be a little bit more conservative and even though you might think of it as a state that's very different from the East Coast, it's one of the most diverse states in the country. So even a place mm-hmm. like A&M, 
that happens to be a little bit more rural and might, you might imagine, seeing a more traditional Texan there. Uh, nowadays, there's no such thing as a traditional Texan. <laughs> so you're going to mm-hmm. see uh, a diversity uh, of students there. Probably it's going to be a lot more diverse than many other campuses across the country, despite the fact that it might be a little bit more conservative and despite the fact that it might be a little bit more stereotypical. So I, I would take those kind of words with, with a little grain of salt, knowing that it's still going to be a pretty diverse campus. I'd say not as diverse as the University of Texas. You know, if we're, we're looking at UT versus A&M, A&M is going to be slightly a little less, uh, a little less diverse, but when you're comparing it to other schools across the country, probably a lot more so. Okay. All right. All right. Good. So, um, so still a place I think probably for just about anybody who might want to go there. You can Anyone, probably find your yeah. niche. Yeah, you're going to find your niche if you love football, <laughs> if you love the Aggies, <laughs> and that's where your soul lies. No matter who you are, you're going to find your niche there, and you're going to enjoy it. I've I've known plenty of students from all walks of life. Uh, go there who, who've absolutely loved it and who've gotten so taken by its mystique and its ethos and, and just felt right at home. You're an Aggie. Okay. All right. So, okay, so after that, I think after Texas A&M and UT Austin, knowledge of Texas universities, the public ones, really falls off. Um, so what's the next one in the ranking? Like what would be the next most selective the one that Texans have heard of, even if those of us in Connecticut, like myself, or Boston, like you, like haven't heard of? Well, I'd probably say, you know, if we're talking public universities, I might uh, include uh, Texas Tech University. Now, granted, most people outside of Texas, and I'd say a lot of people outside of Texas probably uh, might not necessarily have considered it. And I'd, I'd say, you know, it's still one of your larger public institutions, uh, but it is a little bit outside the urban bubble that Texas has become. You know, it's out uh, um, a little bit more in, in West Texas, out in Lubbock. And so it's outside of, let's say, the urban triangle um, where you can find most Texans, you know, Dallas to Houston to Austin, uh, to San Antonio to, to back to Dallas. So it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit more rural, a lot like uh, A&M is, but it's a little bit more in West Texas. And so, yeah, you're going to see a, a few more of that, Stereotypical Texan, perhaps, people with cowboy hats and boots and so forth, uh, pickup trucks and so forth. Um, but, you know, everyone who goes there says, hey, you can find your niche. You know, love it, just a small town. There's still things for you to do. Probably you're going to find it on campus. And if you explore the campus, I think uh, you will be happy if you're one of those students who has to probably rely upon the surroundings, maybe uh, you might not necessarily have as much to do there as you would, let's say, in a, in a bigger city. Um, but there, there is a, a lot of life on campus. Well, and, and with the 29, I mean, the undergrad enrollment is almost 30,000. So, I mean, I think that's enough students to have some stuff going on, you know, even in a more, uh, even in a less urban area. Exactly. You're going to be surrounded by people from small walks of life. Um, you know, the joke there is, hey, chances are, you know, those people are all going to be from Texas, but Texas is a very big state. I mean, it's, you know, the distance between, let's say, uh, Dallas and a Corpus Christi or an Austin and El Paso is probably it's much greater than it is from Boston to New York or Boston mm-hmm. to D.C., you know, so mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a pretty big state. So um, even though you might find a lot more Texans there at, let's say, Texas Tech, you're still talking to a diverse range of students. 
I think that's a really important note. I mean, when you're talking about states like California and Texas that are not only large geographically, they're also quite populous. They're also incredibly diverse uh, populations. So, yeah, even an in-state school, it's not like in-state Connecticut is going to be, it's more diverse than people realize, but it's going to be a lot less diverse than, say, a big state like Texas and California. So people should absolutely keep that in mind, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. What about U- University of Houston? So if we're talking diversity, <laughs> this is probably going to be the most diverse public university in Texas. Um, I'd say, you know, because it is in Houston, and Houston is, you know, by all accounts, the most diverse city in the United States, um, you're going to find quite a number of people from all different backgrounds at the University of Houston. I'd probably say if you're looking at the white population at uh, the University of Houston, it's only 25%. Everyone else is going to be African-American or Asian or Hispanic. Um, So you are going to be surrounded by the world there at Houston. They they really consider it a melting pot, you know, this particular school. Um, It is in transition, I will say. So it is probably not going to be what one would consider your traditional campus in terms of everyone living on campus. You know, for a long time, it was very much a commuter school, but it is in transition, and they're building many more freshman dorms, and they're trying to get it to be much more of a residential campus than a commuter campus. So if you want to be a part of a place that is in transition, that's changing, that's growing, this could be a good option. Well, and the the diversity really is remarkable. I mean, I'm looking at the statistics that you emailed me. And, yeah, Hispanic, it's 33.35% Hispanic. And then, as you said, 25% Caucasian. So not only is it not majority white, which I think is pretty, you can find in probably other schools, but at the largest percentage of any, if you're looking at any one group, is not white. So it's, yeah, this is really remarkably, a remarkably diverse place. Um, yeah, kind of makes me want to compare it to like the City University of New York or some of like Los- Cal State LA might be similar, but probably like you said, you know, not as diverse. Exactly. So. I, 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 when I'm thinking of the University of Houston, I always have in the back of my mind, hey, if that looks like City University of New York, very much mm-hmm. so. A very mm-hmm. diverse place, you know, in an urban environment, uh, oftentimes a lot of, uh, you know, local students head, head there, um, but you know, like New York is incredibly diverse, and that's why that particular school is like that. Same thing with Houston. Mm-hmm. And how about getting into University of Houston? I mean, I don't, I, I haven't heard of an automatic admit percentage or anything like that there. Yeah, I, uh, it's it's not uh, going to be as difficult to get into as some of the other schools that we mentioned. So, in terms of the automatic admission, not 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 such a factor there. Um, so it, it will be uh, probably much easier to get into a University of Houston than the others. As I said, it's probably changing. It's a school that is in transition. And as they develop, you know, as it changes from a commuter campus to a more residential campus, my guess is that in the future it's going to start getting a lot more competitive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think a lot of these urban schools are on a real upward trajectory um, in terms of selectivity. So, mm-hmm. um Okay. All right. Great. So University of Houston, keep an eye on that place. Um, yeah. <laughs> Another urban uh, school in an urban location anyway is the University of Texas at Dallas. Yeah. UT Dallas is 
very interesting and very different than any of the other schools that we've talked about. I think one of the thing that, things that probably distinguishes it from the other schools, there's no athletics there, or at least no big football team, so no one's gathering in the football stadium to cheer the team on. And what also makes it a little bit different than a lot of these other schools is that it tends to be, uh, the focus is on academics a lot more. Now, I've, I've worked at institutions, so that was the case, and, you know, there's a lot of nerd pride uh, going on, and I would say you're going to see that a lot at UT Dallas. I'd probably say, it, you know, a lot of people describe it as, hey, don't be surprised if you feel that you're at a Comic-Con conference. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a lot of anime going on, a lot of video games, and a lot, you know, it, it's that kind of a campus. Um, it's a newer campus. It is in transition as well. So uh, it's developing its own culture. And I think as it becomes a little bit more residential, it might change. But right now, in terms of its formative stages, it's kind of taken on that nerd pride, I would say, that mm-hmm. you might uh, see at some other schools. So it's going to be I very love- different than, than what, we took, what we've seen before. I love it that it's got nerd pride, that there's nerd pride at a, at a public institution. That's kind of, that can be a little bit rare. So that's really pretty wonderful. And no, t- no football in Texas seems astonishing to me. <laughs> that is astonishing. It is, as I said, probably very different. And when you, you know, hear about students who go there, you're probably going to hear about experiences that are going to be very different than what you would typically think of at a big public Texas school. Okay. All right. Good to know. Well, we have about four minutes left, a little bit less. So I think that's time to do one more school. Um, So what about Texas State? So this is on the probably opposite spectrum, uh, say at UT Dallas. Um, Texas State is in San Marcos, which is about 30 minutes south of Austin. And, you know, it, it is a large uh, public university, about 35,000 students. Um, it's up in the hills. Um, I'd say you're going to find all kinds of students here, probably a lot more party goers than you would at UT Dallas. Um, but you're going to find a diversity of students. So I think any kind of student might be a little bit more comfortable here. Um, it, it, you know, tends to be on the commuter side a little bit more so than other schools. But San Marcos is an incredible city. I, I lived there for a small while. And one of the things that I remember seeing were all the students who'd hang out at the springs at the San Marcos uh, River. You know, there's a swimming pool, a uh, natural swimming hole uh, right off of campus, and everyone hangs out there on beautiful days. It's just absolutely stunning. And, you know, it's a, it's a neat college town with an incredible college square and a lot of outdoor resources, I'd say. So, you know, this is a school that's known for, I don't know if you've ever heard about it, there's a video that went viral about a young woman who got her license revoked, and so she started going around campus in her Barbie mobile um, that she bought okay. from. Um, <laughs> I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a neat little place, very different from, let's say, UT Dallas. So, I wanted to pick something that's a little bit on the opposite side of the spectrum there. Right, but we can reassure people that if you don't have a Barbie mobile, you will still fit in there, it sounds like. <laughs> You'll still fit in. You'll still have a good time. Mm-hmm. I'd okay, and so, <laughs> all right, and so I'm sorry to, to do one rush, but we have time, I think, for just one minute, maybe, on UT uh, San Antonio. Any quick summary of that school? 
Yeah, I think this is also another school in transition, and you're going to see that there are a number of public universities that are aspiring to be a lot more like UT Austin or Texas A&M. They're aspiring to kind of like that flagship status. And UT San Antonio is probably one of those schools that is in transition, you know, that is growing, that has become a lot more selective over the years. I'd probably say, uh, you know, a number of years ago, the admit rate is probably like at 99% you know, prior to, let's say, 2006. Uh, and now it's about 60%. So it's gotten a lot more selective as it grows, as it adds more research opportunities, as it tries to become a major research institution. And it's in the city of San Antonio, very different than any of the other cities that we've, just, we, we've talked about. Mm-hmm. All right, so unfortunately we have to go. We've run out of time. But thank you so much, Zaragoza. You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay. All right. Stick around, listeners. As next, I'll be talking with Cindy Quinn about education tax breaks um, for when your child is attending a college or university. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Cindy will now be telling me what education tax breaks are available to parents. Welcome, Cindy. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. And listen, this is a topic I know absolutely nothing about. 
So I am, uh, and I have a nephew who is 14. So his parents occasionally are coming to me for advice. So it'll be good for me to learn a little bit more about this. So let's go ahead and start with what tax breaks are out there for parents paying for college. There's a few, and, and Sally, you're not alone. There's a lot of parents who are feeling, I think, major anxiety this time of year. You know, we're in the midst of filing our taxes and trying to gather all the paperwork and not really sure what qualifies, what doesn't. So I think there's a lot of parents who are, are feeling the same type of angst that you're feeling. Um, when we think about tax breaks, you know, the first place to look would be at the state level. There's a lot of states that offer either a deduction or a credit against state income that would be worth investigating. But when we think of the federal side of things, uh, the three most common breaks that come to mind are the, the tuition and fees deduction, the lifetime learning credit, and the American Opportunity Credit. So I'm sure you've probably heard of, of those or seen them on your tax forms if, if you look close enough. Um, but with those credits, each serves a different population, and I think that's where a lot of folks get confused. You can only take one or the other. You can't kind of lump all these credits and deductions together. So you have to figure out what is going to give you the best benefit. And usually it's the American Opportunity Credit. It, it tends to be the most popular. And what that does is it allows up to a $2,500 credit against $4,000 worth of tuition and related expenses for the year. This is perfect for the traditional undergraduate students. Um, those who are enrolled in a degree program at a college, who attend at least half time, if you're an adult looking to return to school to maybe further your education or get better job skills, um, or you're at the graduate level or a fifth-year student and don't qualify for the American Opportunity Credit, you might want to look into the Lifetime Learning Credit. And what that does is it offers a $2,000 credit up, to, up against $10,000 worth of expenses. So about 20% of the expenses you paid, you can actually get a credit on your tax forms. Um, and then we have a population of students who are just attending college casually. Maybe they're testing the waters before jumping in, and that's where the tuition and fees deduction comes into play because they could actually uh, deduct up to $4,000 off their federal tax returns for expenses paid. And this particular deduction might also apply to high school students who are paying now to take college courses. So if they're dually enrolled and they're actually incurring college expenses, this deduction might help too. Uh, they don't have to actually be enrolled in the college to get the deduction. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, and what, um, what's the difference between credits and deductions? And is one better than the other? You know, credits are generally more favorable than deductions um, because they give you a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit against your tax liability. So let's say parents with incomes of about $100,000 might have a $15,000 tax liability. If you claim the credit, um, you know, if you get a $2,000 credit, you're actually paying the IRS only $13,000. So it's a dollar-for-dollar offset. Where if you're in the same situation, you have $100,000 worth of income, a $15,000 tax liability, 
if you take a $2,000 deduction, it might only bring down your tax liability by about $300 or so due to the way our current code is structured. And again, it's either or, so it has to be either a credit or a deduction um, for the same student. You can't kind of double dip into your expenses. So if you do qualify for the credit, it's usually best to go after the credit. It sounds like it. A one-to-one sounds pretty good to me. So who tends to qualify for the tax breaks? Um, that's where that's where it gets a little disappointing because there are income requirements that are in place with each of the tax breaks. Um, generally speaking, once your adjusted gross income, which is typically your salary plus investment income minus 401k and, and some other losses, um, once that adjusted gross income exceeds 180000 for a married couple filing jointly or 90000 for single filers, the tax breaks no longer are available. So that's kind of the income threshold, 180000 for married couples, 90000 for single filers. So unfortunately, that's, that tends to be the limiting factor in, in most of the situations as to whether or not somebody's going to qualify for the, for the credit. There are, of course, other conditions, but that tends to be the big one. Mm-hmm. Well, and I imagine, I mean, in four years, things can change, too. So it's probably always worth it to check, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So are these credits or deductions or tax breaks something that I, as a parent paying for college, would take? Or would my child actually take them? Oh, that's a great question. Um, for the American Opportunity Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit, the person claiming the exemption gets the credit regardless of who actually pays the bill. So let's say, for example, your ex pays tuition, but you claim your child on your taxes, that means you would get the credit. If your child is independent and claims his own exemption, you know, he files independently of you, you're not allowed to claim him on your taxes, he would get the credit, even if you paid college tuition. So it works this way for credits, but not for the tuition and fees deduction. That one's a little more complicated. Um, with the deduction, the tuition and fees deduction, you can only claim that uh, for expenses you actually paid and if you're claiming the student as your exemption. So that goes mm-hmm. by the wayside. If you have a student in high school taking college courses, you're claiming the exemption, but your ex is paying the, the college bill. Um, at that point, nobody would be able to claim that. Okay. All right. Are there tax perks that uh, my child can get? Uh, yes. Uh, it usually comes into play child filing his or her own taxes independent of you, meaning parents are not able to claim him as an exemption. Um, a typical scenario for this might be if your income as parents is too high to claim the American Opportunity Credit, but, and you've also saved a lot for college, You could gift assets to your child, let your child liquidate those assets, um, which, of course, would create a tax liability, but then your child could claim the American Opportunity Credit to offset some of that tax liability. Um, Of course, I am way oversimplifying things. Uh, I think anybody listening would know that the uh, IRS is way more complicated than, than what I just said. So, you know, there are strategies, but it's best to talk with an accountant and do a little um, pre-tax planning at the end of the year if that's something that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does sound pretty complicated. So, 
Yeah. I know um, they're doing taxes sometimes, let alone getting into these little nuances. Yeah, yeah. So if my family is looking to borrow for college, um, is there any loan that allows us to write off the interest? Yes. Um, there's actually another deduction that, that the um, federal government allows, and that's called the student loan interest deduction. So it's not necessarily one loan program. Uh, most of the loans, as long as they're only used for education purposes and not tied to anything else, you're not, you know, uh, taking a vacation with these proceeds or using it for cars or anything like that. If the loan was borrowed solely for educational purposes, then the interest paid on that loan can be deducted. Um, of course, there's caps and, and conditions, but generally the borrower can deduct up to $2,500 worth of the interest that was paid on that loan. Uh, mm-hmm. The only catch, so to speak, is that the borrower has to be legally responsible for that loan. Um, so when we get into student loans versus parent loans and co-signed loans, you know, there's many different ways to borrow when you're looking to finance college. If the student's borrowing the loan and there's no co-signer required, so we typically see this with federal loan programs, um, then parents can't deduct that interest because they didn't have to co-sign for that loan. So when the student starts filing taxes independently and is still paying on this loan, then they can go ahead and take the student loan interest deduction. But for parents, in order to get a a student loan interest deduction, it would have to be on a loan that they themselves borrowed or co-signed with the student. So one way or another, they have to be on that note and responsible for the interest legally. Okay. All right. Well, I think we're actually just... just out of time. So thank you so much for your time today, Cindy. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Sally. Thanks again. All right. And thanks so much also to my guests, um, Karen and Zaragoza as well. Next week, Beth Heaton will be back and her show will cover how to handle being put on a wait list and appealing uh, if you've been denied uh, to a college of your choice. She'll also be reviewing scholarships with very late deadlines. So guess what? It's actually not too late to apply to, for scholarships. For those of you, by the way, though, who have uh, younger kids, please don't wait until now. But uh, but there are a few scholarships that are left. So we'll, she'll be covering that as well. She also has a guest on who will help her explain the Cleary statistics. Um, and these statistics disclose campus crime policy and uh, and also let you know what the crime rate is on campus. And finally, I want to remind you that every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website, and you can also download them for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find all our past shows, including those featuring the Schools Out and Schools In segments, which began on June 30th, 2015. Or you can even check out last week's show when we reviewed the SUNY Schools or State University of New York um, and answered listener questions. And if you like our show, please be sure to rate us on iTunes. It takes only a moment of your time and is absolutely free. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. 
Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 